This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at mjmunoz.com. I am recording this uh, a while after I had recorded the other section, which is a casual book chat um, on the Harry Potter series. So, I am pulling up notes right now to give more of the full treatment, the professional treatment, the uh, you know more measured treatment. And I'm going to admit to you that I used the Bing Chat AI function um, to pull together some information on the Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. I'll share that with you now, and then I'll just let myself go into the casual book chat on Harry Potter Book 1, The Philosopher's Stone. So, or is it The Sorcerer's Stone? Depends on what country you're from, right? I'm from America. I only speak two languages, English and bad English. So, anyway, here we're going to go. That was really bad English. I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, oh, also, it is interesting to me that today is September 1st, the day that Harry goes back to Hogwarts, and it just seemed like the right time to release this. I've got a couple of these already ready and prepared. Um, well, prepared, but not produced. So I decided today's the right day, September 1st, to produce this and get it released. So I hope you all enjoy. And if you want to hear about my writing woes, uh, I made a super short, uh, about 10-minute long episode of Story Over Everything, you know, standard episode, uh, and then I decided to make this Skimming Leaves episode separate for me to talk about Harry Potter. So, some facts. Uh, so, the Harry Potter, uh, the, it says, uh, here's my facts about it. The book was written, The Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, uh, by British author J.K. Rowling, and it was her debut novel. That's pretty cool. Uh, the book was first published in the United Kingdom on June 26, 1997, by Bloomsbury, under the title Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, so 97. Whoops, i got to adjust my thumbnail card thing that I made. The book was published in the United States the following year, 1998, by Scholastic Corporation under the title Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The book had an initial first printing of 50,000 copies and was acquired by Scholastic at an auction for a low six-figure sum. I'm assuming the 50,000 copies was in the UK. The book won most of the British awards that were judged by children and the other or and other awards in the US. Which other awards? I don't know, it doesn't say. The book reached the top of the New York Times list of best selling fiction in August nineteen ninety nine and stayed near the top of that list for much of nineteen ninety nine and two thousand. The book has been translated into an into at least seventy three languages and has been made into a feature length film of the same name as well as six of its sequels. I would say seven, because Deathly Hallows is a two-part movie, right? There's two of them. Uh, the book has sold in excess of 120 million copies, making it the third best-selling book of all time, behind the Bible and what? I don't know. Um, next bit of information. Uh, according to one source, the first Harry Potter book has 76,944 words in it. Assuming an average reading speed of 250 words per minute, it would take about 5 hours and 32 minutes to read it. However, this may vary depending on your reading speed and comprehension level. Another source provides a handy guide to reading the Harry Potter books for the first time with some tips and trivia. And uh, there's a link there that I won't share because that's kind of weird. Uh, this is interesting to me. The reading level of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is measured by different metrics, such as Lexile rank, grade reading level, and guided reading level. According to the very to various sources, the reading level of the first Harry Potter book is as follows. Lexi, I, I have no idea what this means. Lexile rank 880L. What's that mean? I don't know. Uh, grade reading level is 5 to 6 for ages 8 to 11, and grade reading level is 
5, but Roman numeral V? I don't know why it's like that. These metrics indicate the difficulty and complexity of the text as well as the expected reading ability and comprehension levels of the readers. However, these are only general guidelines and may not reflect the individual difference among readers. Some factors that may affect the reading level of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone are the length of the book. The first book has 223 pages, which may be challenging for some younger readers. The vocabulary and sentence structure. The book contains some words and phrases that may be unfamiliar or confusing for some readers, such as British slang, magical terms, and Latin spells. The content and themes. The book introduces a fantasy world with its own rules and history, which may require some background knowledge and imagination. The book also deals with some topics that may be sensitive or scary for some readers, such as death, violence, and evil. Therefore, it is important to consider your own reading level and interest uh, before choosing to read Harry Potter and Philosopher's Stone. Of course, that's just a chat, uh, GPT, um, you know, pandering and uh, um, soft peddling. So I'm not going to continue reading that. So I thought that that was interesting. And yeah, now I will, after doing that little bit of an introduction there, I will let you hear my initial thoughts on... Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in the UK, called the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, is an interesting book. Uh, my daughter finally decided to read the Harry Potter series, and I had read the first two books back in the day when I was in high school, actually, I think, and I... Which, it came out before I was in high school, but I was so late to it, and... Uh, so much focus on other... I, I was playing Sonic Adventure on my Sega Dreamcast, okay? I didn't have time to read Harry Potter. Anyway, um, but I, I think I read the books before I started watching the movies. And, like, I remember my sister and her friend going to, like, a midnight release of it, which I guess if it released in the UK, you would have had publicity about it and people talking about how it's sweeping the nation. And that could have dreamt of excitement, but I was like, what are you, a book about a wizard boy? What are you talking about? This is weird. You guys are weird. Why are you going, why are you all excited for books? And then I realized books are super cool. So, um, anyway, which actually, uh, ironically, because of, uh, other, or interestingly enough, because of some things that are going on in my life right now, uh, I actually kind of fell in love with books after reading uh, some of the Star Wars books. Um, so many cool, old school, expanded universe uh, Star Wars novels. And, uh, anyway, very cool stuff. Uh, but, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about Harry Potter. So I, I decided to... Anyway, my daughter's gotten into it, and um, it's been a long time, and uh, I barely know Harry Potter, because I watched, like, the first four movies, maybe? I think I watched Goblet of Fire, which I, I thought was movie five, but I don't really remember it that well. And I liked it all right, you know? I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I hadn't read past the first two books, and I thought, you know what? It's, there's an opportunity here. We're using Cloud Library from our local library to get all these in audiobook format, which is super cool, and, uh, you know, why not give them a listen? So, I've been mainlining Harry Potter books, and uh, I actually have already finished book two, and I thought, you know what, I may as well use this for skimming leaves, because uh, it would be foolish not to, so, uh, here we go. <laughs> I, I interrupt my uh, planned schedule of books to talk about on skimming leaves to talk about, to do a casual book chat about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And uh, I gotta say, now that I've listened to books one and two, and I'm on the uh, verge of listening to book three, I gotta say, I'm very impressed with J.K. Rowling's planning and plotting that she did for the series. I think she must have taken a lot of notes and spent a lot of time. So some people you can tell, or it feels like they made stuff up against touching on Star Wars. George Lucas, 
made stuff up as he went along and massaged it all and wrote himself into corners and just made it work, basically. And I, he didn't even plan out the prequels as well as he could have, but uh, he definitely stuck to his own vision, and I think that's why the prequels were not a disaster like unto the, uh, the sequel trilogy. But again, we're not here talking about Star Wars, we're talking about Harry Potter, um, which is the story of an orphan boy who lives with his aunt and uncle until one day he tragically gets called, uh, something crazy happens and he gets called into an adventure. Uh, and plenty of people have pointed out over the years how much uh, you could say that Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter are similar characters to each other, and I would say uh, just on the surface that's true, but the, de- the details are what make the difference, and the details are what matter, and I think Harry is very different from Luke uh, in a lot of ways, and they're significant, and uh, I would say beyond that, uh, basic outline or sketch of the hero's journey, there are not many similarities between the two characters, which I think is good, because as much as I like one character and I can't stop referring to the franchise he belongs to, um, I also like Harry as his own entity, and uh, yeah, there's more parallels than that because of the things that happen later on in the other books as you, you know, get into a little bit more of he who shall not be named, and uh, his connections to Harry, and whatever their parallels it is interesting though but uh i think um (laughs) i think harry potter the harry potter series is less a fantasy story and it's more a coming of age series slash like academy series which i think I, i haven't read a lot of the genre but i think the academy series is not a super old thing again talking about Star Wars I can't believe this they have uh, Jedi Academy books and they have Young Jedi Knights books I believe those are the two series that are written for kids for a children's audience and that uh, started in the early 90s so even before Harry Potter was released I believe the first Harry Potter book released in 1997 and I'm going to guess the first Jedi Academy or first Jedi uh, Young Jedi Knight book was released in like 94, 95 um just based on my background, uh, history and knowledge with uh, Star Wars, and I remember like some of the stuff was coming out in Scholastic catalogs while I was in school. I wasn't in high school until 2000, I think, so uh, I would have been exposed to that stuff then, uh, before then. Anyway, um, so I'm not super familiar with the genre of the like school academy boarding school type thing, but I think it's new-ish. Uh, it's definitely more popular now. You even have in like anime, you know, My Hero Academia, Little Witch Academia. You've got, uh, you know, a lot of stories in anime that take place in school or high schools or whatever. But, like, this whole, uh, we're going to do a year, one year. Well, it tells you in book one that Hogwarts is seven years worth of school. And it becomes pretty clear, oh, each of these books is going to be one school year. And the crazy events that happen with Harry, or to Harry and his friends, and what they, you know, the adventures they go through throughout these as you're reading them. And I think that's apparent by book one. Because uh, at the end of it, there's the hook for them coming back for the next year. And I gotta say, it's a gutsy move of Rowling to just think, I'm gonna make seven of these, and I'm gonna put them out, and people are gonna like them, and it's gonna be a success, and I don't care what happens. Especially because, uh, that's risky. You know, how can you do that? But then again, uh, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what her mindset was, but it's really interesting. But again, I think she did a really good job of seeding things for the first book, or in the first book for later books. So. Uh, again, I don't know how to talk about this casually other than to talk around the book for the most part, which is what I've been doing most of this time, but yeah, I'll say I'll just say this, uh, it's interesting there's stuff, and I'm not going to spoil anything but there are 
<laughs> it's really interesting how she tells a complete story while setting up the future stories. Uh, you get the enigmatic, you get the introduction to the enig- enigmatic character of Elvis Dumbledore, and you kind of sense his favoritism towards Harry, and you sense that he's got a sweet spot for the kid, but you're not quite sure why. And I think by the end of book two, it isn't a hundred percent clear why, but the genre savvy le- reader, the clever reader, the reader who's been really paying attention will see oh, I think this is what the trajectory of the rest of the books are going to be. Which, again, I have not seen all the movies or read all the books, so I don't know the full trajectory of the series, but I know the broad strokes, and I believe I'm correct. Uh, But I think that's, again, seeded in book one, uh, and it's grown a little bit, it developed a little bit in book two, and I think that's really interesting. There's something with with Hagrid, the lovable, uh, weird character Hagrid. Uh, He has at least two things that are seated with him in book one that become manifest in book two, which is really interesting. And I think there's even a little bit more to come from him. And it sets up different ideas. Like, uh, you hear that he was... In book one, you hear that he was expelled from Hogwarts, although nobody knows why. You find out in book two. Um, But you also uh, get to hear a mention of when he's with Harry in Diagon Alley buying his wand, or helping him buy his wand, you hear the wand maker, whose name I can't remember right now, ask or say something about uh, Hagrid's wand being still in his possession somewhere, but being properly snapped in half, or snapped in two. And it's kind of interesting, because you get to see Harry put two and two together and figure that Hagrid still does have his wand, and the way that he's carrying it around, it... <laughs> he's Hagrid is treating it like contraband, and he's got it basically concealed, and it makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes sense. And it's just, it's funny the way, like, you're introduced into it in, like, a kind of a backwards way. Like, Harry sees it being used, but he doesn't realize what it is, and neither does the reader, for sure, but it, it asks, it raises questions, and it brings up brings up suspicion about Hagrid, which is actually utilized in book two, um, because he's scapegoated for uh, an incident that's going on, and uh, he's actually scapegoated twice for the same incident, which is kind of funny. Um, And it all makes sense in the context of who Hagrid is as a character, and everything that you've learned about him up until that point, starting in book one, and continuing through into book two. So... Uh, that's pretty pretty fun, pretty neat. Uh, let me see what else. I think the stuff with uh, the the di- the dynamics between Ron and Hermione as friends, and even uh, like Fred and George and Percy to some extent, and then Ginny comes along in book two. Uh, like the Weasley the Weasley family is a great surrogate family for Harry and. Uh, they're just, they're marvelous, they're very lovely people, and uh, they're a lot of fun, and it's its interesting because they're, you know, these pureblood wizards, and Hermione's uh, muggle-born, and Harry is, I don't know, I don't know if he'd be called a mix or not, because uh, his mother is muggle-born like Hermione was, but his father is, we don't know, he could be a pureblood wizard or he could be whatever, so it's interesting like, you get, basically, it's this coming-of-age story, but it's also, like, this, uh, 
it's it's not only a coming of age story, it's like a coming of worth story. Like Harry doesn't know why he's treated so shabbily by his by the Dursleys and he hates it and it's the worst. And he has learned to be uh like subservient and he's learned to get by and he's actually kind of as a mistreated person been given a lot of the tools that he needs to succeed in the wizarding world. He's been given the ability to like, I don't know, kind of like be an independent thinker, kind of be a rebel, um, to know, to question authority. Like the Dursleys are authority figures in his life, but they are corrupt, evil authority figures in his life who, if he just listened blindly to everything that they said, he would end up in a very bad way. But there's something resilient in Harry. There's something rebellious in him that endures and bucks against them. And that ability to persist in the face of hardship and to buck authority and to say, I know they told me to do this, but I'm not going to do that. And what they're saying is wrong. So I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what I know is right, even if it costs me. That uh, that definitely that's like a crucial that's like a crucible uh, for some of his character development, and it pushes him to do the things and to defy Voldemort and whoever else he needs to in you know in book one and then also in book two, and that's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, I guess in that way it is just a coming of age story. It's just in the context of this wizarding world and. Uh, I don't know. It's it's really curious. And again, um, I don't think I finished my thought on this earlier. This isn't a pure fantasy series. It's like a coming of age story through this academy, you know, subgenre or whatever. Um, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, it in an interesting way it neuters the magic. And I, uh, I grew up hearing you know the Harry Potter fear and like. Uh, you know, I was I was around people who were saying it's evil, but then again, I, I heard people who were saying that Lord of the Rings is evil and Star Wars is evil, and uh, like the Force is a replacement for God, and wizards are you know wizards are just evil, even though like Tolkien was a, a Catholic, and uh, I don't know about Rowling, um, but she comes from a you know Anglican or uh, you know Catholic probably background, being in in the UK. And, uh, you know, she has Halloween and Christmas and, and like, all these different seasons are are touched on in the school. They are all celebrated in the school. And they give Harry, like, a sense of normal life. And they're kind of, like, uh, broadly speaking, I don't know how big of a deal Halloween is or how it's celebrated in the UK. But in America, I know what it's like. And I almost wonder if she left those, like, muggle holidays in to add some familiarity with the kids and see, oh, well, this is how they do Halloween at Hogwarts. This is how they do Christmas at Hogwarts. This is how they do whatever at Hogwarts. And it's similar to my life, even though it's, you know, fantastical and and different and special in its own way. And I think the fact that it's in a school, the fact that it's a young hero, the fact that he feels, you know, trod upon, basically, like all of those things make the character uh, relatable to kids and relatable to people who've gone through a school system. And I think probably the success of these 
Academy <laughs> type stories is that so many people go through the uh, Prussian school model school system and uh, there's that familiarity with them and, and it's like an instant um, like they can commiserate with Harry with, with uh, over how much his life sucks in these different ways and the bullies he deals with and the persons of you know Malfoy and his, his cronies and um, you know even the home life being not so great some kids are going to have that experience and some aren't and uh everybody always imagines they have it worse than they do so um i've gone from talking about how interesting it was how rowling you know seeded all this cool stuff for later on in the series and now i'm talking about how it's interesting how like the formula and the format of the story make harry and his friends more relatable and endearing to young readers and i think that's good. I think you really need both, and I think Rowling did a good job at making these characters sympathetic, putting them in a familiar background and setting, and then adding in this splash of wonder and awe with all the fantastical elements that she put into the book. And there's some ridiculous things, too, um, but the ridiculous, quirky elements are like what makes Harry Potter distinct from everything else, and... Uh, they're interesting and it's like she niched down by adding in, you know, the every flavored beans and, uh, you know, the, the, what is it? Gringotts, um, bank and all these different weird elements that are so quirky. Um, you know, they separate it and make it its own individual thing. And that's a good thing. That's clever. Now I'm talking about like as a, as an author and thinking about how to, you know, brand and, and position my fiction so that it, you know, appeals to the most broad audience possible and in the deepest way possible. And I, I definitely think that's what Rowling did. But yeah, I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to talk about too much spoilers, even though I know it's an older property, but uh, I think the really cool thing at the core of it is like this found family that Harry has in Hogwarts and in these other, uh, in you know, with his school chumps with Hermione and Ron, um, Neville Longbottom to a lesser extent and you know, like again, the Weasleys generally, but in the you know in the first book you don't get uh, as much of the rest of the Weasleys as you do uh, later on. So it is interesting how there's like you know the home life with the Dursleys, and then there's the school life at Hogwarts, and how uh, the two are separated. And really, kids do have their own life at school because they spend so much time with those people, and they really do exist in these two realms. And it's interesting how sharp the relief is or how sharp the contrast is in that as you see Harry uh, you see you know everything with his life in the beginning with the Dursleys and then you see how different it is at Hogwarts and like he doesn't want to go back for Christmas or anything like that and they probably don't want him back and if he was back they would treat him badly again so that's all really interesting I don't feel like it's a you know negative thing it's about you know, rebelling against your home family or the people who've taken you and are taking care of you because the, the Dursleys are terrible people. And Lily and James Potter, uh, Harry's parents, uh, sounded like they were wonderful people. And the way that you learn by the end of book one that they... Mm, well, they died protecting him is really interesting. And it adds, like, a very sweet... It adds a very sweet and touching... Uh, aspect, I guess, to the tragedy of him being orphaned as a one-year-old baby. And it's really interesting how... I think the movie did a little bit of a better job, 
like showing this, I think because they did flashbacks, um, like showing Lily protecting her baby. And uh, in the book, it's a little drier. It's a little colder. It. I was expecting it to be this big emotional thing because I still remember. That's like one of the mo- things I remember most is that, you know, the love of this mother protected her son and like empowered him to overcome you know the most powerful you know death dealing spell of this you know super dark super evil dark wizard guy and the book didn't quite do as good of a job of that i think um but it still it still did it um i'm gonna wrap up now because i've been going on for too long and i don't think i'm doing a very good job with book one i think i need to do each of these books uh one after the other or well i need to do the book chat after i finish each book so that i'm not muddling them together like i have been uh books one and two so um it's funny to me that at the end of book one, Harry passes out, wakes up in hospital. The final the final battle is over without him being 100% involved, even though he was involved. Like uh, like in The Hobbit, uh, how Bilbo gets knocked out in the final battle. Like in, oh, what was it? We talked about this. In Tarn Wanderer that happens. Uh, not in Tarn Wanderer. In, uh, is it the first book? Anyway, I think it's the first Prudane book. Tarin, the main character, gets knocked out and gets out of a battle. Uh, that's by Lloyd Alexander. And then C.S. Lewis in A Horse and His Boy, uh, Shasta, uh, or Prince Kor, gets knocked out and misses out on the battle. And this is a really weird thing that my daughter and I noticed that these fantasy-type authors keep doing to their young, innocent, uh, you know, sweet, male hero protagonist guys and it's a, it's an odd quirk it's an odd thing to, to keep doing and uh that happens in in book one of harry potter as well and then it's like explained to him how he had the victory over voldemort and it's just it's it's an odd thing to do i don't quite understand why uh why you would choose that uh, i can understand why rowling as a you know fantasy reader probably you know absorbed that trope and was like oh i'll do this it'll be so funny it'll be so sweet just like those books i loved when i was like Last and uh, anyway, it's just it's kind of odd. So anyway, that ends my casual weird book chat about mostly the Philosopher's Stone, but a little bit of Chamber of Secrets. And I'll be back for another one uh, talking about Chamber of Secrets alone. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to mjmunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.